Let's hear it for the youth bands, yeah. I've just got one question. I just want to know what, what the age cut-off is for the youth band. I'm just throwing it out there, you know. <laughs> Did they do well, though? Isn't it great, a privilege to be led in worship by the young people? Yeah, the talent, the gifts that God's given them. We are richly blessed. How are you doing? You okay? Yeah, that's good. That's good. I'm not a very patient person. That's something about me that you'll get, you'll get to know. Don't speak to my wife about it, otherwise you'll be there all day. But I'm not a very patient person. But I'm starting to think the reason, or one of the reasons, that God has brought me to Billericay is for me to learn and grow in patience, because I'm realizing that God has brought me to the, uh, the roadworks capital of the world. <laughs> I have never known so many temporary traffic lights in such a small area. And I think they, all, they, they, they conspire with each other. Because you think, oh, there's one down there. So I'm going to go the other way. And another one's popped up around there as well. And you know what? Not one of them is fixing the pothole problem in Billericay either. So apologies if you see me rapidly tapping my windscreen and steam coming out of my ears. And if you catch it on a Tuesday... One of them when there's bin lorries as well. Oh. Just, just decide that your day's going to start at 1pm. It can't start in the morning. You see, I did say I'm not a very patient person. But I think for all of us, there are things that test our patience. One of the things that test the patience of my family is when they see me trying to text or they see me trying to... F- search for something on the TV, and you've got that arrow going across the little letters, you know? And I'm so slow at it, you know? And, I, oh, and there's lots of, oh, oh, come on, Dad, all that going on. Shall I do it for you? No, no, don't de-skill me. I can do this. I can do this. But I get it. Most of us like to have things that are done quite quickly. We love speed. I love watching Top Gear. I watch it with Ruben, my son, and we love Top Gear, and whenever they're reviewing a car, they're always talking about the 0 to 60 miles per hour speed and the top speed. And they'll have two cars, especially these kind of supercars, and this one can do 0 to 60 in 3.8 seconds. This one, oh, it takes four seconds. I mean, that 0.2 of a second is absolutely useless. And then their top speed, this one can go 209, well, this one can go 211, so it must be better. I get it, I'm caught up in all of the stats. And the strange thing is, if ever I was fortunate, which I won't be, I don't think, to have one of those cars, I couldn't use all of those stats anyway. I can't imagine coming out of Billericay Baptist Church trying to do naught to 60. First of all, you scrape your car as you go out the dip, wouldn't you? So, you know, you just wouldn't, unless you were on a racetrack, you wouldn't use any of those stats. But I get it, we like things to happen quickly because i too am drawn into that fast is better than slower argument maybe you can relate to some of that maybe you're not that patient a person yourself and you do things at a fast pace and the world in which we live is about getting to do us more with the time that we have that's how things like the microwave 
has gained popularity from when it was first invented. Was it the 50s? And then come the 80s, it was really taken off the microwave. Remember an auntie once where I was staying in, she did, she said, I could do bacon in the microwave. Don't try it, friends. It looks the same coming out as it does going in, and that's not good. But, you know, the microwave has hugely taken off and across the world. Microwave, as we call it in Wales, popty ping. That's Welsh for microwave. Popty ping, because that's what happens. Popty ping. But microwave meals fly off the shelves, don't they? And there's lots of offers, three for seven pounds and all that. Get these microwave meals and everybody can eat something different. And it takes a fraction of the time. You know, my mum used to say when she was alive, it takes ages to cook a meal and then it's gone in ten minutes flat. Now, things are reversed in the world. And it takes longer to eat the meal than it does to cook it in the microwave. There are cookbooks such as 30-minute meals, trying to get us to, to do more in a shorter amount of time. And if ever you've seen that program on TV, is it back in time for dinner that goes down through the ages? As all these new technologies, these advancements come on, they think it's great, but it does something negative. So everybody's eating a different meal at a different time. So there's no longer that sitting together with friends or family around the dinner table and savouring a meal that has taken a while to cook. There's none of that kind of thing going on. Or the conversation that is shared as you're washing up together, well, we don't have that now because we just chuck it in the dishwasher. And even the... The advancement of freezers. I mean, when did freezers get so big? They're huge. So now you don't have to just do your Friday big shop once a week. You can do it once a fortnight, once a month, because you have so much space. And whereas you used to go shopping maybe every three or four days, that interaction with a shopkeeper, it's been lost. All because of we want to cram more in to the same amount of time. I mean, stand on a two platform and see people think the world is coming to an end because the next train is three minutes time. Wow. When did life get like that? What happened that we can't wait three minutes? Because here's the thing. While we have all of these different time-saving gadgets, we have the same amount of hours in a day today as we've always had. You know, God didn't decide at some point, you know what, they used to have 38 hours in a day, I'm going to change it now to to 24. We've always had 24 hours in a day, and yet we now cram more into it than ever before. And so as we finish this series, start as we mean to go on, we look at the the final uh, spiritual discipline, the spiritual practice, the, the spiritual way of life of slowing down. That's true, not all modernisms are bad. They're good. I'm sure there's huge benefit to to put your washing in a washing machine as opposed to spending hours washing it by hand. And we, we have a blessing to live in a part of the world where we have those things. Also, the practice of slowing may not instantly be something that comes to your mind when you think of what is a spiritual discipline of Jesus. We understand things like silence and solitude, Sabbath, uh, simplicity and all of those kind of things. And what it, putting those into our lives, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but slowing? Where, where's that one? 
John Mark Comer talks about how the theologian Richard Foster and other theologians have used the word slowing as a spiritual discipline and talk about how we need to cultivate patience and to allow ourselves to intentionally wait. Do you do that? Do you allow yourself to intentionally wait? I can hear you screaming, but I don't like to wait. I feel your pain, but to truthfully, ruthlessly eliminate hurry, we need to be willing to do some waiting. Think about that when you're in a line to get your tea or coffee later. And somebody in front of you is just having a good old natter. They're holding their tea and coffee, and they're jabbering away. You're thinking, I want my tea, I want my coffee. Maybe God's allowing you to intentionally wait. We see it. James in the New Testament teaching on this. James was writing at a time when first century Christians believed that Jesus was coming back, coming back pretty soon. And some of them were getting a bit restless in the waiting because it wasn't happening. And into that context, James writes these words from James chapter 5. Meanwhile, friends, wait patiently for the master's arrival. You see, farmers do this all the time, waiting for their valuable crops to mature, patiently letting the rain do its slow but sure work. Be patient like that. Stay steady and strong. The master could arrive at any time. Friends, did you catch the discipline? James encourages his readers to wait patiently. And to hit the point home, James says, of a farmer who is waiting, that he patiently lets the rain do its what? Slow work. You know, you can't wait patiently when you're running around, cramming everything in. To wait patiently is about waiting with a tolerance of delays. It's, it's, it's about not getting angry at the delay. A dictionary definition says that to be patient means that when suffering comes, we do not get annoyed or anxious. I can see somebody thinking, I hate the dictionary. I don't like that because I don't like waiting and I get anxious and I get nervous and I'm, I'm not that tolerant when the person in front of me is going so slowly. To be patient is to slow down our lives, to not rush around, to not get over anxious about something, but to slow down. And we would add to be with Jesus. That's why James adds we're to be stay steady and strong. And to be steady and strong in our faith means to be with Jesus, to slow down with him. Because when we rush around, when we, we, we rush and we don't wait, we miss what we're going past. We miss out on what Jesus is doing. You see, if you think about it, ask yourself the question, where do we see Jesus running? Where do we see Jesus rushing around? There are passages in the Bible where you see the imagery of running. Paul talks about it as an, uh, talks about the sort of the analogy of life as training like an athlete to run this race that is before us. Jesus talks about the prodigal son, and when the prodigal son is coming home, the father runs to embrace him. But their imagery, their story, their analogy. Where do we see Jesus running? Friends, if you had to visualize Jesus moving from one place to another, how do you see it? I see him walking. And do you see him walking quickly, rushing from this place to the next, 
Or do you see him walking, moseying around? The walking pace of three miles an hour. Let me take you back to our first sermon where I quoted from Kasuki Koyama. I know you remember it very well, obviously, but just to refresh your memories, or for those that weren't here, he wrote a book called Three Mile an Hour God. And in the book he says that the average person, when walking at a gentle pace, walks at three miles per hour. And he says that this is the speed at which Jesus walked. And because Jesus is God and God is love, love has a speed and it's slow. And it's three miles an hour. You see, Jesus, as love, walks slowly. Look at the passages in the Gospel where Jesus slows when he's at the well on the Emmaus Road, riding into Jerusalem. He rides on a donkey, not a grand national horse. (laughs) Cooking breakfast, walking on water. Where do you read in the Gospels that Jesus ran? Was Jesus unfit and carrying a bit of extra weight around the waist? No, no. But he slowed his life down. He was willing to sit by a well and and rest and in doing so have a conversation with a woman that completely changed her life and then changed the life of the village as well. He was willing to call the disciples to the beach and until instead of getting straight into the conversation he wanted with Peter about love because Peter denied him three times, he said, come have some breakfast. Took some time, slow hospitality. Whenever we see Jesus, he never seems to be in a rush, even though he would have had lots to do. Jesus could have published a book, 101 Walks with Jesus. For when you see Jesus and you read him in the Bible, you see him interacting with people. He's walking, he says to his first disciples, come follow me. You don't get the feeling that they dropped their nets and they went on a sprint and started doing. You get the feeling that they They walked. He called Zacchaeus down from the tree and they walked together to his house. We don't read that Jesus ran on water. We read that he walked on water. If you were to visit Jerusalem today, you wouldn't run around. You would walk around the places that Jesus walked to. Jesus walked, for in his culture, not only was it the main way to get around, but it was also a way of slowing life down. Remember the mantra for this series, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus would do if he were us. So if Jesus slowed, we would do well to do the same. And if I take you right back to the Bible passage we looked at from Matthew 11 as we started this series, we read, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus tells us to to come to him. In in some of the more traditional versions, it says, uh, we read that Jesus says, when we're weary and burdened to come to him. Here's the thing. If somebody comes to you and they're wearied and burdened, do you tell them to get on with it? Do you pile more on them? Tell them, well, the problem they're wearied and burdened is because they just need to do more stuff. They're doing things too slowly. They need to rush around. Of course you don't. If somebody comes to you and tells you that they're weary and burdened, 
you would just sit with them. You would take time with them. And that's what Jesus is doing. He says, when we're wearied and burdened, Jesus asks us not to rush, to not take on more. And in the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson, who wrote it, who was actually a brilliant language scholar, by the way, translates this passage as Jesus asking us to walk with him. Not rush with him, not run with him, not go from 0 to 60 in 3.8 seconds, not have a top speed of 212 miles an hour, but to walk with him when we work with Jesus. Jesus is asking us to watch how he lives, and he's telling us that he lives slowly. And when Jesus moves at that slow pace of three miles an hour, he notices things. He allows the interruptions to become part of his life. Hands up if you like an interruption. (laughs) So annoying, aren't they? You know, I find it when I'm writing a sermon or something and somebody wants to speak to me, they want to, they, they want to, they want to meet me. It's really annoying. When I'm watching a program on TV and, and the kids or my wife want to ask me a question, oh, I guess on my nerves. Jesus would always stop, rest, interact, pause, be spontaneous. Jesus was never in a hurry and he lived responding interruption. C.S. Lewis said, how we respond to interruptions is who we really are. Wow. Let that sink in a little bit. It's not a guilt trip. But how you respond to interruptions is how you really, is who you really are. Jesus didn't go slowly because he couldn't run. He went slowly so he didn't miss what was going on around him. That's both in terms of coming into contact with people, but also so he didn't miss out on what his father was saying to him either. Because, you see, he always wanted to be following the father as opposed to expecting the father to catch him up. Friends, Norbert has announced our first Tuesday prayer time. Prayer times, when we come together as a church, are important because we intentionally take time to slow down our lives and hear from God together. That's why times like First Tuesday are so important for any church community, and that's why they're important for us here at Billericay Baptist Church. Read from the book of Acts in the New Testament. We read, they met together daily. In other words, they took time out of their day to slow down and to be together so they could hear from God as a community of faith. Friends, isn't the struggle we face is that not only do we not slow down as individuals, but we don't slow down as a community of faith as well. Because there's always something else that we want to be doing. And when you read this passage from Matthew 11, you get the sense of the pace of Jesus, a pace that was deliberately slow. Yes, he could have rushed around. He could have gone from here to there. He could have crammed as much into his life as he could. He was Jesus. He walked on water. He could have all of a sudden gone from here to here in the blink of an eye. But instead, he chose to walk, to not rush around. There's no idea of Jesus calling to us, come on, keep up, will you? (laughs) 
Instead, it's more of a slow, it's a let's hang out together kind of pace. And in doing so, Jesus will impart of himself to us. It's the Mary and Martha situation where, where, you know, Martha's getting a bit cheesed off because she's rushing around trying to sort stuff out for Jesus and, and Mary's sitting there seemingly doing absolutely nothing. They're both with Jesus, but in very different ways. One of them's just getting scraps as she's hearing things that's happening in the other room, so to speak. And one of them is just sitting there. One of them gets annoyed. She's not got that waiting patiently kind of thing. She's getting anxious and annoyed. And so in a fit of, I've had enough of this, she tells Jesus to, to tell her sister to go for her backside and help. And Jesus just says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will be not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better. What is better? To slow down and to simply be with Jesus. It wasn't to slow down forever. Because Mary would need to eat. There would be things that Mary would need to do. But there were moments, there were intentional activity of slowing down as opposed to constantly doing. You know, it's been estimated that in Jesus' three-year ministry, he walked over 3,100 miles. And he did those 3,100 miles slowly. Now, he could have run in that desperate desire to achieve more, to meet more people, to heal more people. But he knows if he had rushed, he wouldn't have achieved more. He would have been too hurried to see what God was placing around him. And actually, instead of achieving more, he would have achieved less. Friends, if we want to develop our lives of faith, we need to slow down and walk with Jesus. You know, the life of faith is not like an episode of The Apprentice where they run around trying to hit a deadline. That's all they do in The Apprentice. They run, don't they? They run, they run and argue. That's all they do. And these are the people that will, are the big business people of, the, of, the, of tomorrow. Please, Jesus, help us. <laughs> That's all they do. They run around. They run around, they argue with each other, and they achieve absolutely nothing. (laughs) If they were to slow down, to take a step back, to pause, to see what is right in front of them. Why, when people go on pilgrimages, why do they walk? Because that's a way in which you slow yourself down. Some of you are loving this sermon. You would certainly be the tortoise in the tortoise and the hare. You love taking your time when you're shouting, amen, amen. I might even get a preach it, brother, from you, you know? You're loving just this idea of, yes, the pastor's telling me it's okay to slow down, it's okay to be the tortoise. But others of you are hating it. Because <laughs> you have a personality that just thrives with being in the fast lane. You go through life as fast as you can, and you think that slow lane is for losers. Maybe you don't articulate it quite like that because <laughs> you're nicer than I am. But both of those can have their problems. Do you love going slow or are you just lazy? Do you go fast because it's right or because it's about control and you don't trust that if you don't do it, it's not going to happen? And actually the sad thing with that is sometimes 
we have so much control over things that we don't even trust God. And in case you hear me wrong, there's nothing wrong in going for a run. If that's your, if you like doing that, I don't know why you do it, but if you like that, that's entirely up to you. There's nothing wrong with driving a car. It's not about those things, but it's about the heartbeat of our lives beating in time with God and slowing down to focus on what is important in life, and that is to be with Jesus. In his book, Ruthless Elimination of Harry, John Mark Comer makes an interesting point when he accepts that Jesus lived in a different age, one that didn't have cars, emails, internet, big, busy, and pressured cities like we have today. Jesus didn't have an alarm clock. Oh, what a lovely age it would be to live then. He didn't have an angry boss that was expecting him to work overtime. And it's true. We live in a very different age to what Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. And so walking everywhere like Jesus did is not something that's always possible for us. And because of this, John Mark Comer says, we have to find our own ways to slow down. And in his book, he, he shows 20 ways in which he intentionally slows down his life. It includes things like Choosing to take the slow lane in traffic. Choosing the longer line at the checkout. Turning your phone off. If you can, take long holidays. Cook a meal from scratch. Instead of multitasking, try single tasking. And then 14 other things he suggests. They're not rules, but simply offered as suggestions, as ways in which we can intentionally slow down our lives. Because the heart of what John Mark Comer says is that hurry is killing us because it's killing our souls. So to change this and to become like Jesus, we need to take a look at our lives and see where and how we can slow some things down. What are the things you're going to do about this so that you choose to slow down? It doesn't have to be the same suggestions that John Mark Comer has, but what are the things in your everyday life that you can intentionally allow yourself to wait to just slow down a little bit? Because when you slow down your body, you slow down your life and you draw alongside Jesus. And what happens when we go through life too fast? We miss things. We miss people. Our souls suffer. We've been fooled by the world that says fast is always good and trying harder and cramming more in is is how we're to live. And it, it doesn't work. You know, many years ago before ministry, I did have a life, a normal job, a proper job, some would say, before ministry. I used to manage a a small factory that made printed circuit boards for lots of different electronics companies. And the bosses, the owners of it, just kept pushing more and more work on us. We were only about eight or so people. And it was more and more work that you just could not get done in your normal eight-hour working day. So for a season, we ended up doing 16-hour shifts. 16 hours on and and eight hours off, seven days a week. We did that for quite a while. And it was one Friday, I just looked out and I could see all the guys were absolutely exhausted. Mistakes were going up. They were hanging. Some of them could really do with a shower as well. And 
And so I just went into the, onto the shop floor. I said, guys, just turn everything off. Just, just go home. See, we're not working this weekend. We'll come back on Monday. Go home. Slow down. Have a shower. <laughs> Cook a meal. Spend some time with your family. Go for a walk. See daylight. And I sent them all home. The owners of the factory phoned and said, Wayne, I want everybody in this weekend. I said, sorry, I can't. They've gone home. I can't tell you in the sermon what they said down the phone to me, but I stood my ground. And the guys came back on Monday morning, clean for one. The odour in the factory was much better. They worked better. Mistakes went down. The atmosphere in the factory went up in a good way. Because you see, when we try to cram more and more and more in, it's counterproductive. It, it just doesn't work. Because friends, trying harder isn't always the answer. Sometimes slowing and stopping is. We must ruthlessly eliminate hurry. And one of the ways we do this is to intentionally slow down and to walk with Jesus. Cast the worship group to come back and you may just want to start quietly playing. But as we close off this sermon and this series, I, I just want to quote from John Mark Comer's book. He says he's reorganized his life around three very simple goals. One, slow down. Two, simplify my life around the practices of Jesus. And three, live from a center of abiding. That is abiding in God. That's to to live with a rule of life. Remember the trellis that holds everything up? And in John's Gospel where we read that unless we abide in Jesus, unless we stay connected to Jesus, our lives will go awry. And he says this, abiding is the metaphor I keep coming back to. I want, I want so badly to live from a deep peace of love, joy, and peace. Nicholas Herman, the Prisian monk, better known as Brother Lawrence, called this way of life the practice of the presence of God. Because it takes practice to live from attention and awareness, especially in the modern world. These four practices, silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity and slowing, have helped me tremendously to move towards abiding as my baseline. But to say it yet again, all four of them are a means to an end. You see, the end isn't silence and solitude, it's to come back to God and our true selves. The end isn't Sabbath. It's a restful, graceful life of ease, appreciation, wonder, and worship. The end isn't simplicity. It's freedom and focus on what matters most. The end isn't even slowing, but it's to be present to God, to people, and the moment. And he says, when he messes up, And he doesn't follow these practices. He has this mantra that he says, he slows down, he breathes, comes back to the moment, receives the good as a gift and accepts the hard as a pathway to peace as he abides. Friends, it's come to an end, this series. Now the choice is is up to you. 
You can either carry on in your state of hurry or you can seek to implement these practices. And that's what they are, they're they're practices. And what do you have to do with practices? You have to practice. (laughs) And when you fail, as you will, slow down, breathe, and just start again. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Strange verse, isn't it? We don't put ambition and quiet together. We put ambition with drivenness, with cutthroatness, with always achieving. And yet Paul says, the ambition that you have in life is to have a quiet life. It's a life where you've ruthlessly eliminated hurry. Friends, will you pick up silence and solitude, Sabbath, simplicity and slowing, and in doing so, walk with Jesus? Let's stand together. Father, we just want to come before you this morning. We just want to lay our lives before you. We're all different, but you know us intimately. You know whether we're doing well at this or whether we're struggling or whether we haven't even started trying. And Father, you don't heap any kind of judgment upon us or false guilt. You just say, my daughter, my son, I'm I'm here. Will you watch how my son Jesus lived life and will you do likewise and will you just come and walk with me and allow me to to move in your life. Allow me to show you those godly interruptions. Allow me to allow you to breathe. Now let's sing this worship song no longer slaves as a as a prayer as a proclamation that we're no longer slaves to the enemy the lie of this world that we belong to Jesus amen yeah sing it out Jesus